failure is a must when it comes to building your character. And you can't look at it as a negative because sometimes success is nothing more than standing at the very top of a mountain of failures. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I am so excited to have one of my favorite talents, you know, as I, Liz Clayman, started to interview people, started with a Yankee, actually, Jim Leyritz and I had a, an Angels radio baseball show. Nice. And, you know, I could always talk, but I really didn't understand media and how to interview someone, how to make it uh, interesting, not interested. And I was playing around with it. And I watch people like you to understand how exactly do you bring out the best and it's like a coach right how do we bring the best out of people where did your career start in communications you really want to know yeah sixth grade nice my dad brings home the family's first video camera i'm old everyone <laughs> uh he brought it home and i have four siblings instead of being the one to want to pretend that she was barbara streisand or you know, some race car driver, I forced all of my siblings to pretend they were the celebrities and then I would do the interviews. So cool. And I knew then, OMG, I really, really want to do this. But in high school... Were you the middle child, by the way? No, I was the fourth daughter. Okay. And then there are four girls. And then my little brother, Brooke, we call him Jesus because he finally arrived. Yeah. And I have three girls and baby Jesus as well. Oh, that's wonderful, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? He will grow up to Four be a... baby oops. They, baby <laughs> oops also work. <laughs> I hope he's listening again. Well, my dad really wanted a boy. And then he got Brooke and was like, okay, not so much. No, we <laughs> love him. He is our baby. And we flutter around him like butterflies. Oh. But I was the fourth daughter and I forced everybody to call me the baby princess. But <laughs> oddly, I acted anything like but the baby princess. I wanted to get out there and work and be that person who was on the scene of the explosion or the fire or the drug bust, it was as if I were born with it, which is strange because my dad was a surgeon, world-renowned surgeon, and my mom was a formerly trained theater actress from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, Shakespearean theater actress. Wow. And I wanted to be at the mudslide. <laughs> right. Or the mayonnaise festival, either one. You know, I mean, I would cover anything. And I used to pretend I was a reporter, so it really began there. But I ended up getting my radio FCC license one summer when I did a summer at Andover Academy. Uh, you know, my mom said, I want the California kids to have the Eastern education, whatever that meant, mom. <laughs> and uh, I got that FCC third-class radio license. And in high school, I did my thing. I was editor of the yearbook staff, always media sort of yeah. focused. But in college, I took one course at Berkeley called television journalism. And it was taught by a professor named Andrew Stern who had worked at ABC News in the 70s and 80s. And he told stories that made me believe that while the pen is mightier than the sword, television, which with its reach, had the power to be mightier than everything when it came to journalism. And so I marched into my local CBS station, KCBS in Los Angeles, and I applied for an internship. They said, everything's taken except the one in the, you know, the <laughs> news library where we would clip out newspaper clippings. This was pre-computer. They still had typewriters, David. I, I'm with you. I'm, and, I'm right um, with I you. learned how to research stories. 
and I worked with reporters. And at the time, the reporters were Ann Curry, Paula Zahn, Pat O'Brien, Sports, Jim yeah. Lampley. They were all there oh doing local news. And they said, you got to go to the Midwest. So I sent my tapes and I got Columbus, Ohio, third rated station, WSYX, which was great because it gave me the chance to learn and take chances and really start from the ground up in the 34th largest market. And it takes a lot of practice. It, it takes a lot of interviews. It takes a lot of research in order to get good at this. And one of the fearful things I have about helping people with media training or speaking training is that I have a philosophy and I'd love to hear your opinion of it. I believe that 10% of the people, no matter what you say, will love you. Like literally, it's just a frequency thing that you can stand on a stage or sit in an interview and 10% of your audience is gonna send you, you are amazing. And some will even tell you, you changed their life. Even if you sat there and said, the, the, <laughs> the. I, tru I, truly, I truly believe this. And then I truly also believe that 10, uh, in, you know, 99% of all statistics are made up. So around 10%. But 10% of the people will hate you. Even if you're the most brilliant Einsteinian expression of God coming through you like Sadhguru or Deepak Chopra, 10%, but it's the real professional that can resonate with the other 80%. And, you know, it takes a lot of practice. There is technique. For you, what skills and knowledge did you gain in that level three market that helped you to understand how do I attract or how do I resonate with so many more people than just the natural 10%? Number one, I sucked at first. I was <laughs> doing what I thought reporters should do, holding the microphone and saying, live from criminal courts, Elizabeth Clayman, Channel 6 News. I mean, the voice, it was just so 70s, 80s, Anchor yesteryear, <laughs> anchor speak. Yeah. And my first news director who hired me was a guy named Ron Bielek, who said to me after my first I thought you were saying Ron Burgundy, but it was Ron Bielek. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, I've worked with enough of those guys. Yeah. He said to me after my first day, he pulled me in and he said, <laughs> this is hilarious, I need you to fake sincerity more. What he meant was, you need to be way more relaxed and authentic. Mm. Now, is it natural to stare down a camera? No, but I thought to myself, I need to pretend each time that camera light goes on that I'm talking to my best friend and explaining it to them. Now, on top of all of that, you have to have your facts right. That's the number one issue. And as far as I'm concerned, it was something that I really wanted to get good at. It was not natural to start. I wasn't automatically so comfortable, but he showed me that you have to just be authentic. And it's okay to say, you know what, this may be a dumb question, but when are they gonna open this blockade? I know that the toxic spill is still being cleaned up, but we got a lot of people watching who are dying to get through that road. Just ask what you think the most people in the world would really wanna know. They will respect you for that. However, there is that 10% who will always, David, the hate <laughs> mail I've gotten through my career, I, I can't imagine. in Columbus, this is what I got. Your eyes are too green. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next. I stole, I stole gratitude from Gary Vee, so that was good. Gary Vee's uh, great. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because we mentioned Ron Burgundy, and one of the industries where it's been most challenging for women is the media, especially in the newsroom. 
Uh, so there is some factual basis to the movie Anchorman and uh, the discrimination and prejudice and uh, manipulation and abuse that has occurred. And I've even seen it because blessed to be in the sports world, mm -hmm. uh, but many locker rooms in the 80s, 90s, 2000 uh, of a different culture uh, of seeing what was acceptable and what wasn't. But yet women like you have been able to provide opportunities for my three daughters who are in media, one at you know Indiana Media School, inspired by Sage Steele, one of my good friends and you know just amazing. Sage is phenomenal, I incredible. ESPN, she's isn't she great? But you did have to face different challenges. How did you deal? You know, not just with haters today and hate meal. It, it's a different thing when it's your boss that's not giving you opportunity, or you know, there was I'm sure some pats on the butt or some many comments that were you know not appropriate especially today comments not appropriate uh, it was like water off a duck's back because <laughs> there's so many i would laugh at them and say okay uh, what are you a hundred like go back to the caveman days and i would just move on yeah the problem becomes very serious when it is somebody above you lording your career over your own head i will have to say I am so thankful. I'm not sure lucky because I think I had a lot to do with the vibe I put out where that never happened to me. Every male and female manager I had, boy, were they tough. Some were outright hateful people. Mean. But they all, totally mean. Yeah. Like, really? Um, but I, I have to, screaming. However, they all wanted me to be the best I could be. Mm. Now, I have seen it happen. Obviously, I come from Fox, where we had a huge scandal with the man who founded it, Roger Ailes. Mm -hmm. uh, I met one-on-one -on -one multiple times with Mr. Ailes, and there were times where I needed something from him. Like, I want this in my contract. But he looked at me. First of all, I never needed the job. I was coming from CNBC. They approached me. Right. The problem is... Many people, women, men, they are hanging by a thread and they are dying for a job. And listen, people who abuse and who harass, they can smell it. They're experts at it. Whether it's Jerry Sandusky mm -hmm. or some news manager, it's horrible. Uh, but in this case, I didn't need to. And in all the previous cases, I was just lucky not to run into those types of people. My only advice would be, and it's it's important to note that very strong people have been harassed, okay? So this isn't about, oh, I gave off the right vibe. If it is your boss or anybody who can control your career who is lording over you, you gotta decide, I'm going straight to the top, I'm gonna complain, I'm going public. Immediately. Immediately, mm. I'm going public, or I'm leaving. Okay, the last choice is not very often an option. People need jobs. In broadcasting, there's so few and far between. Yeah. And so, in my opinion, uh, some of the best things that have happened are the, the stories at ABC News and the stories at NBC. You know, you know some of these, these people, contributors, talent. You, you can't be a caveman, and, and you can't try those kinds of things. I do think... There's too much of a woke atmosphere now to the point where people are losing their jobs simply because they just didn't know any better or they're, they're just like insert right foot into mouth. 
horrible. But um, I just I think we need to get back to the center on this because it's getting a little crazy. And it's difficult, right, to reconcile that. And it's so difficult. I tell people all the time one of the best things I actually learned in this studio from a young Los Angeles Ra- uh, Los Angeles is Las Vegas Raider, um, and we were talking about the John Gruden uh, issue when he uh, quit or retired or mm-hmm. got fired, whichever they say. But he still respected John for giving him an opportunity to play, and he wouldn't be here. But he said something really interesting that I love. John Gruden needs to unlearn a lot of things, and oh, I think we have to yeah. give some credence and credibility, especially to some older white middle-aged men that have really great intentions that say stupid shit, excuse my language, right? But, you know, I am one of those people and, you know, I I get confused sometimes. I'll give you an example. I was with my children and there was a game when I was little in Ohio called Smear the Queer. And I never thought of what that word meant. It it just never even passed my mind. And so as I became older, I said to my kids, oh, you guys want to play Smear the Queer? And they went, you know, especially my oldest, who's hyper liberal, that went to Tulane, where I went to law school, right? She's about to cancel me, you know. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and I was like, "What? What? What, what, what did I say?" What? Did I? And I got totally nervous because I want to be a good father and a good representation for everyone. And they said, "Dad, you can't say that." So you like, unlearn. What did I say? So I had to unlearn that. And then what makes it more confusing? I have the vice president of YouTube who now has a show called "Queer and Queer is Acceptable," mm-hmm. and I asked her to explain. And so. I asked her, how do I deal with this? And she said, you need to ask people what's appropriate. Do you call them black or African-American? Or, you know, because when I grew up, you call people African-American. I mean, I've represented Warren Moon. He's my business partner, Jackie Robinson, the Clemente family. I mean, the list will go on and on. It's a big issue for me for equity and inclusion for races. And I don't want to be offensive, but I'm terrified because of, you know, where people can misinterpret my intention. Well, my husband and I often do accents. <laughs> and we were doing an Asian accent, and my eldest daughter, oldest, she's my only daughter, uh, she's at Syracuse, the Newhouse School of Communications. <laughs> wow. And she blurts out, that's unacceptable. I said, what, are you going to tell Rich Little that he can't do accents? Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me a break. However, yeah. with your example, yes, we need to unlearn that. Yeah. I mean, my mom used to call little people midgets. Yeah. I said, Mom, you can't do that anymore yeah bless her heart may she rest in peace you got to you've got to evolve it still hurts my feelings when people evolve. call me a little person though i just have to tell you <laughs> <laughs> but i'll tell you you know we, we are all in a learning stage at this point yeah and i think of a little bit of wiggle room and forgiveness for example i'm jewish i'm allowed to make fun of myself I'm allowed to say oh God, that's so jewish. my brother's a rabbi so i'm, I'm with you oh muzzle <laughs> but you know, and I don't get offended if people in, in a sort of hilarious way will will make those jokes. Mm-hmm. But you can't be smearing, you know, people in a negative way. You learn, grow up, Thanks. but maintain a little bit of, you know, youth within your hilarity of all of this. But I, I mean, it's so much fun when Chris Rock makes fun of the African-American community, but he's allowed Right. He is allowed. And, and so I think that that's kind of a good rule to have. And everything swings, as you know. We're old enough that the pendulum swings from one way to another. And hopefully we learn more and more lessons as it swings so that we can stay at neutral and we can learn from each other. I always say if we can learn to appreciate the differences, not don't focus on we're all the same. We're not all the same. Mm-hmm. We're just denying the truth. 
But if we can learn to appreciate the differences like we appreciate how we're similar, we're going to have a lot better time. Now, you are a parent as well. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons we learn by interviewing people, by having these shows. And I find myself sometimes wanting to uh, project the lessons that I learned from a day onto my three daughters or my 11-year-old son. Um, what's your perspective on parenting and how has your occupation uh, contributed or <laughs> deterred from you being a, a parent? Well, I remember a couple of years ago when that book, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom, came out, which was basically about how this Asian professor at Yale was hard as nails on her two daughters, didn't let them have play dates, they had to practice. I mean, it was almost to me abusive, but that was part of their culture. And I remember calling up Warren Buffett, who I've gotten to know very well, and saying, Warren, I am so laid back as a mother. Like, am I, too, am I doing the wrong thing? I'm too Californian. Yeah. And he said, oh, God, no. Don't be a tiger mom. Love your kids. You know, engender a curiosity within them. Don't always say yes, but don't always say no. My dad, Dr. Morris Clayman, used to say, you know, when you become a parent, you're given two piles. One pile is yeses and one pile is noes. And you only have a certain number, same exact amount. If you use up the no's too early, they won't be around to hear the yeses because you will mm -hmm. have been too strict. If you use up the yeses too early and too often, when you say no, they won't take it seriously. He also said, it is so hard as a parent not to look at your children as blind people tapping their way toward a manhole. You want to put a pillow down. You want to grab them back. Let them fall. Let them fall. Let them make a mistake here and there. That is the hardest thing to do as a parent. But failure, as I've learned from interviewing so many entrepreneurs and, and brilliant business people, failure is a must when it comes to building your character. And you can't look at it as a negative because sometimes success is nothing more than standing at the very top of a mountain of failures. So I try and put that through with my kids. But uh, David, I'm failing. I mean, can, can I just be honest here? My kids, I'm like, man, I would not want to be stuck in the Holocaust with you because they're whining and complaining. Uh, this, this hurts. Something's pulling. And I'm like, what if we, this was a survival issue for crying out loud. And they're like, eh, where, you know, where's my Evian water? I, I mean, I don't know. Can you, can you raise your kids underprivileged? Again, one last thing that my dad used to say, he grew up extraordinarily poor, son of Russian Jewish immigrants in Canada, nine children, he slept in the bathtub because they didn't have enough beds. They would put pillows down in the bathtub. Okay, sob story. <laughs> but he became this world-renowned surgeon, and he said, I gave you kids every advantage except disadvantage. Yeah. And you talk to people who've made it to the top, a lot of them fought harder because they didn't have all the advantages we did. Yeah, you know, when I speak around the world, I, first question a lot of times is who here grew up poor? Because I had a single mom, six kids, five boys and a girl all went to the Ivy Leagues except for me, and I did okay. Uh, but I look at people, I say, who here grew up poor? Half the people raise their hand. I said, I feel sorry for the rest of you. And I tell my yes. children all the time, I can't, the one thing I can't teach you that I wish I could was what it was like to have nothing. Mm -hmm. to, I had nothing to lose, and I had nothing. Disadvantage. Yeah, and I wish uh, you could do that. But the interesting thing, last question, when we talk about this pain, setbacks, failures, and mistakes, which we both get to delve into these stories often with entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. small business and large business people, 
there has to be a relationship with faith and mistakes, failures, and setbacks and pain. And I am not that religious as my brother and my mom and everyone grew up very Jewish, but I believe that in order to understand pain, setbacks, and failures, you have to believe two things, that there's something bigger than you and that which is bigger than you loves you more than your mom loves you. And this changed my whole perspective in business because when pain set back, and I lost over $100 million. I don't know if you know that. I went bankrupt in 2008. Well, how do I gave, not? Of course not. <laughs> yeah. And, but without this faith that I have now and the understanding, I wouldn't be able to, I think, even move on or be promoted or protected by my mistakes. And that's a valuable lesson that you don't have to have disadvantage to teach your children. How important is your hope or faith or positive perspective, however you want to define it spiritually, emotionally, religiously, I don't care, but is it important in business to have some sort of faith that may or may not be based off of what I think, but something similar to that? I am going to admit something that I've never admitted in public. I think I've prayed twice in my life. Seriously. <laughs> I have a natural world explanation for just about everything. Now, growing up Jewish, we studied the 10 plagues, you know, for Passover. And I'd say, oh, blood in the water, that was a red clay erosion upstream. Um, you know, the firstborn of the Egyptians, smote, that was a plague. That was like the pandemic that we're experiencing. There's a natural explanation for everything. The burning bush, okay, maybe a lightning bolt hit a tree. Uh, it's very hard for me as a journalist to believe in a lot of that mystical religious, you know, uh, stuff that is written. I've never read the Bible. I was bat mitzvahed, but there have been times in my life where something happened at really crucial moments where I believe there is a natural force. And I will go back to my brilliant father, who was a urologist. Okay, yes, Dick the, Doc to the stars, thank you. The, the similarities between you and my boy Jake, his dad is like the leading urologist now in Beverly Hills and <laughs> from Canada, from Canada, <laughs> oh. grew, grew up with nothing. You know, same, right. incredible, and, and like I'm sitting at, going, is your dad, you guys too. have the same dad? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and dad said he never believed in God, even though he was raised Orthodox, until he did his ophthalmo ophthalmology rotation. And he said, Liz, I studied the human eye and how an image comes in and ref goes through the retina and refracts and sends a message to the brain. And he said, it's too brilliant to have just randomly been created. So believe in a natural force if you don't believe in an omniscient and an all-loving oh, God. So I do. And the one time that I did, one of the two times that I did pray, what I prayed for gave me guidance and pulled me out of a very, very painful time in my life. So that's a real sort of dodging question, but I'm, well, I, I I'm telling it. you that that's what you're dealing with here. I love it. And you are a wonderful interviewee and interviewer. And everyone has to check out if they haven't. Of course, the Fox Business Network show, The Clayman Countdown. She has her own podcast as well, Liz Clayman. Uh, everyone talks to Liz Clayman. I can't wait to go on that podcast, by the way. And I can't wait to do more content with you. I Absolutely. also have a TV show 
uh, where I bring on extraordinary guests. So I'd love to have you join me for, for that as well. You are an incredible entrepreneur and inspiration, uh, demanding that all three of my daughters watch you because especially two of them who are interested in media, this is what the possibilities and probabilities can bring to you with a positive perspective and a good dad. So I want to congratulate your father because he seems I want to congratulate you as a good father to three girls and a son. And I will only say to all the listeners, never give up, tune out all the negative people in your life and only listen to people who believe in you and your dream. I love it. That is beautiful. Great way to end here at the Blue Wire Studios in the Win in Las Vegas. The incredible Liz Clayman. Thank you so much for joining me.